Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in. Today's show is a replay of a virtual event we hosted last month called The Secret to Success, which was presented by our Young Guns members who did a fantastic job. The panel discussion focused on career development, specifically how to navigate today's job market as the industry continues to feel the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a really interesting discussion with some great insights. There's advice here for anyone, no matter what stage of your career. Before we get started, I'd like to recognize our panelists and thank them for joining us. Megan Joseph, Director of Human Resources at Granite Properties. Davina Linguist, Diversity Recruiting Program Manager at CBRE. Halima McWilliams, Director of Human Resources Operations and Culture at Corgan. And Ashley Watt, President of the Pillar Group. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. We put out new episodes every other week or so, and subscribing ensures you get the latest right to your mobile device. Please also follow us on social media. We've linked to our handles in the show notes, so go check us out and stay up to date on everything we've got going on. And now, here's a replay of The Secret to Success, presented by Trek's Young Guns, right here on TrekCast. Thank you everyone for joining us here today. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, panelists, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my name is Elena Severa and I will be the moderator for today. Um, I'm the forum committee chair for Young Guns and I'm also um, going to start my first day tomorrow as the development associate for NRP Group. So first I'd like to thank our panelists for joining us this afternoon. During this time of change and uncertainty, I know we're all looking for some guidance on how we can keep our careers on track. It's great to have you all here today to provide some insight on how we can do that. We will be taking additional questions from the audience throughout the program. Please feel free to submit your questions directly to Kale through the chat function. I would also like to take a moment to remind everyone to mute their lines. So today um, we have our four panelists and first we have Megan Joseph, Director of Human Resources at Granite Properties. Megan has been a leader in human resources at Granite for almost five years. She has served in talent acquisition and recruiting roles in a variety of places, including Ryan, GenBand, and Imagine Communications. She is a graduate of Mays Business School at Texas A&M. Our second panelist is Halima McWilliams. She is the Director of People Operations and Culture at Corgan. Prior to joining Corgan's team, Halima served as a Principal Consultant of Diversity, Talent, and Culture for the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, the National Director of Diversity, Inclusion, Culture, and Engagement, at Conifer Health Solutions and volunteers as a professional job coach for Attitudes in Attire, working with those who are seeking job skills, interviewing tips, and guidance on new beginning into the workforce. She says her career path has been an exciting potpourri of being a hands-on HR generalist to sitting alongside C-suite level executives and providing counsel and sustainable solutions that support the organization's values and guiding behaviors. Our third panelist is Ashley Watt, founder and president of The Pillar Group. The Pillar Group is an executive search that specializes in helping commercial real estate investors, developers, and construction companies with their human capital needs nationally. And lastly, we have Davina Linguist, who serves as the Diversity Recruiting Program Manager at CBRE. Prior to joining CBRE in 2017, Davina served as Diversity Program Recruiting Manager at Infosys, where she created a diversity recruiting strategic plan for the US. She has also served in a variety of recruiting roles where she has not only screened and interviewed candidates herself, but also trained managers on behavioral interview practices. All right, so um, those are our panelists and let's go ahead and get started. Uh, today, we're gonna break down everything into three different topics. So our first topic is getting the job. All right, so this first question is for Ashley. If someone is applying for a job without having a referral, what can a candidate do to stand out amongst the other candidates? There are so many brilliant things to do. And I think that uh, one of the things that, um, first of all, super happy to be here. Glad everybody's here. So um, I probably have talked to many of you throughout the years already. So um, it's nice to actually be speaking. Um, there are several things that we can do. Like the technology age, I think people's fear is, or not their fear, but the concern is they apply for positions and they go straight into um, kind of an abyss, right? They never hear back sometimes, depending on how the company actually operates. 
And so what we have to realize is no matter how good technology gets, right, this is still a very personal people related business. So the thing that really sets everyone apart at this stage in the game is those personal connections. So what I tell people to do is if they see something online, of course, go ahead and apply, but then post that. If you haven't heard any from anybody, try to connect with as many people as you can at the company. Specifically, if you can connect with actually a recruiting manager at the firm, um, I would always do this via LinkedIn as best you can. And sometimes you can figure it out. Um, the other thing I would do is see if you know somebody who's LinkedIn with that person that maybe you know that could offer a referral for them um, into that particular job. So that would be, the, the closer you can get to the actually hiring manager, the better off that, you're all, that you are always. Um, there's a couple of technologies that we use internally to also do this. And so if you, if you look at it from a business perspective, almost as sales, like a business to business sales, because you're really selling yourself at this point. Um, there is a software called Lucia. So it's called Lucia CO. And what Lucia is, is it's a business to business contact. Um, it connects within LinkedIn. And so if you're looking for a particular person's contact information, Lucia will actually pair up with LinkedIn and give you an email and a phone number if they have it. So it just basically scripts the web for contact information, which is also another great way to connect. Um, I would use, and I tell people this on their job search, is use a CRM, HubSpot is free. And you can download those contacts. It will track your emails to and from applicants that are applications that you've sent um, via email. So I would suggest that too. I think I, I think people, you almost have to look at your job search as um, an actual job outside of what you're doing now if you've got a current job. So um, I would recommend that as well. Uh, there is, there is, now this is a paid for software, but they're on sales navigator within LinkedIn, you can actually start to follow companies. So if you're, if you're trying to get in at a certain firm, um, you can actually put a link on there. Now I think, I don't even know how much sales navigator is, maybe $50 a month. Um, but you can also see when people come and leave the company. So if you're waiting for a spot to open somewhere, that's also a good way to navigate that as well. Um, I always tell people, don't start looking for a job when you need one, if you can. In other words, stay connected with people. So if you're, you know, if you anticipate a job search in the future, or this even goes back to kind of the networking side of your, your job, um, stay connected with people. Uh, and so that I think, I don't know how many of you guys have ever watched Ligiri V. I think he's super popular right now, but he will, he'll start to say things as if, you know, you need to post on LinkedIn multiple times during a day, um, just to keep your name out there. It could be posting anything, right? It's not even job related at that point to some degree. So um, I think that progressive step, even while you're in the job search would be super helpful to be doing. Um, so that would be the, the best. Uh, you know, this is another thing that I think we run up to uh, against a lot is people go, oh, I want that job. You know, there's a specific job, let's say for instance, I'll use Megan, like there's a job at Granite, right? Um, be realistic with yourself if you're actually qualified for the position because I think sometimes people go oh we haven't heard back but when you pair up the resume with the actual job that you know that they're searching for it's really not a great fit so you, you kind of have to be super realistic with yourself as to what your skill set is and if you're really the perfect person for that particular role um so those are some things I think that would be probably helpful, but that, that in-person connection is always key. So the closer you can get to some personal connections when you are, don't have any connections in the company, the better off you'll be. Great, thank you. That's super helpful. Our second question for you is, um, there have been a number of layoffs due to COVID. How can we explain gaps in employment history because of um, layoffs due to COVID? Um, I think people are very familiar with it now. I mean, I, I don't think it's unexpected. Um, it, I think that there's been so many. I mean, we've had employers who have laid off 70% of their workforce and more. And so I, I have yet to have anybody stop and say, well, why is there this gap? I think it's kind of universally known that um, these layoffs have happened and there's nothing, it's really out of people's control. And the other piece of that I think people understand is there's a gap also because no one knew how to hire at that stage in the game. So it, it, 
it's really hard. I mean, we can all do Zoom interviews all day long. So we had a couple of months where people were trying to get familiar with the actual technology um, piece of how do we operate? We're all from home. How do we operate? Certainly, the majority of them, I mean, a lot of people were either pausing and or laying off at that stage in the game. So there was really no, there wasn't a ton of job opportunities at that stage. So of course, there's going to be a gap. The other struggle that we had was, is employers who basically said, We're, we can't hire someone we've never met in person. So even we can Zoom, you know, we can do the Zoom interviews, but until we can actually sit down with somebody, there's really no no way for us to hire or we're not comfortable hiring. So I don't think, um, I think it's a very reasonable um, gap to explain, I would say it that way. And I don't think that any employer has paused. They really haven't, they haven't shown any concern when there's this gap. And it's sometimes it's four and five months and that's okay. I, I think everybody's on board with that. Okay, great. Um, Halima, did you have something to add to those questions? No, I was just agreeing with everything that Ashley was sharing. I think that it's um, the one thing that I, I heard her say, which I fundamentally agree with, is networking, even when you're not looking for a job, is essential. Um, cultivating relationships um, when you're not in need so that when you are in need, you can tap into the deposits that you've made by way of be it you've been of service to someone else or you just created some connection and conversations prior to the ask, so to speak. Um, and a conversation is free. So uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Okay, great. Um, and so I think this next uh, question will help address some of this stuff even further. Um, so again, Ashley, and again, any panelist who wants to um, add into this, uh, what are common mistakes we should avoid that you frequently see in the application process? You know, as I was looking at this, so this is probably goes into the application process and a little bit of the interview process. So if we're specifically talking about applications, there's two that I've seen that have caused hiccups. Um, the first one is grammar and typos. Um, and I know it, it's kind of just a deal killer altogether. And it seems like the smallest thing, but um, just really, really double check that resume. Um, some things that have completely killed a, an actual um, offer have been the non-disclosure of anything criminal. So let's say for instance, you get a DWI in college, all right? So people are not mistake proof. Um, that that's something that needs to be disclosed not early on but when you get to the application part and they ask you that question if there's anything you got in a fight in college anything like that it, it when you get to the application process there definitely needs to be full disclosure on that end um, so th that's specifically to the application process the other things that I've seen that are just um, I, I think they're just interesting saying this is the question I get what do I wear always dress up always put on a suit always look your best, right? Um, seems simple, but I know everybody asks that question. Um, be clear on compensation. I think people have gone to where the point where they don't even want to disclose where they're at on their salary side, and I think that does you a disservice. Um, the other piece that I've, I've noticed is, it, this is, this has to do, I think, people with new in their career too, when we actually get to an offer, changing the salary expectation at that point or demanding a whole lot at that point um, it can, can really be it can leave a bad taste in every, everybody's mouth so be clear on salary when you get the offer be considerate on the fact that you it, everybody everybody wants to be wanted right they want you they want to know you want them so um, 24 to 48 hours before you accept is plenty of time um, I've had people navigate where they're trying to navigate various offers at one time and they're making another employer wait a week or two it's just unacceptable um it, it, i think it just leaves a really bad taste in people's mouths. so something to consider on that um but i think those are the those are the highlights i think more than anything great and davina um you also have a lot of recruiting experience do you have anything you'd like to add to that yeah you know i think from a, the application process outside of what Ashley has stated, most of that is systematic. So, you know, once people build their profile, but I think 
the mistake that people make when it comes to their resumes is trying to submit a resume, kind of that general one resume for all positions. And so when they do that, I think they do themselves a discredit because normally recruiters are looking for keywords. They're looking for words that stand out that actually meet the job description, that meet the skill set that they're looking for. And so when I'm working with people and just whether they're reaching out uh, and, and, and trying to give them that advice, it's important that they, sometimes you have to have more than one resume. Sometimes you have to do a resume that might be general, but there's another resume that is more tailored to certain positions. And then if you do have that time off, as Ashley spoke about earlier, because of COVID or that missing piece, sometimes you have to look at, should I be doing a chronological resume? Should I be doing a functional resume that is geared towards a particular role? And then being able to kind of uh, uh, identify my accomplishments, not my job description, and so I always go, you know, that's the, that's the biggest piece. People will tell you everything that they've done, but they're not giving you any, any accomplishments. And, and then the other piece, um, are those measurable? How do you measure? I was able to accomplish X, Y, Z, increasing the bottom line to this, whatever that amount is. I think that's important. And, and to be ready, as, as Ashley stated, that looking for a job is a job and um, being, being prepared with more than one resume that'll get you to in front of the recruiter or either one of your connections to get you to a recruiter. Great, thank you so much. Um, last question we have is, do you really need to submit a cover letter? And if so, um, when? And um, any tips you have when it comes to cover letter? I would say, in my opinion, if it's asked for, yes, you should. Because um, part of what they're evaluating is, do you follow directions? <laughs> you know, and be it that they've established, they meaning the organization, non-for-profit, for-profit, whomever, has established that this cover letter um, is a part of the package, then what they're evaluating is your understanding of that and then your compliance in, in submitting that. So I would say yes. and then. Upon you submitting that cover letter, um, to Davina's point earlier, don't make it so cookie cutter that it, it lacks personality or that upon them, let's say they select you and then you show up and ever, all the energy and, and the, the bubbliness and all of that shows up, but it didn't show up in the cover letter. Make sure that who you say you are, it actually matches. Um, and Evaluate it from the reader's perspective too. If I read this and it just said, to whom it may concern, I am this, I do that, and it's very, you know, kind of basic or not with any level of energy or enthusiasm that you'd like to join this team, um, would you be bored with the letter? Um, so I would say yes, I think you should if it's asked for. All right. Well, thank you so much for all that. Um, that covers topic one, and now we'll move on to topic two, which is advancing your career. All right. So first question is for Megan. What are some of the do's and don'ts for asking for a raise or promotion? And is it okay to ask during uncertain times like COVID? Um, okay. So Number one, I would say, yes, it is always okay to advocate for yourself. Um, and I encourage any person to have the ownership and take control of your own career um, and advocate for yourself as much as you possibly can. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that in these weird, uncertain times it's going to happen, but it is totally worth your while. You're not losing anything by advocating for yourself ever. Um, so a couple of key points for me would be, uh, number one, I would never catch somebody off guard to have that conversation. <laughs> um, I would prepare the person that you're speaking to that this is something that I'd like to talk about. Um, you know, here are a couple of key points so that they know going into the conversation what, what, what you're going to be discussing because if you catch them flat-footed, um, it's typically not going to go well and you're probably not going to get the response that you want simply because they're not prepared to give a response. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, leaning one way or the other. So that I think is a big one. Um, if you're gonna be asking for things, do your research. <laughs> know what other people and other companies in your similar type of role make. 
um, know what other people in either your own company or other companies in the type of position that you're looking to be promoted into know what they do um, and also what they're what you're looking to be uh, in terms of salary um, so do your research there so that you have a good understanding of whether or not you're a good fit for the role and you know kind of what your value is what you're bringing to the table um, on those things um, be prepared to talk about yourself coming into a conversation like that and just saying, you know, I've been here for almost five years and um, I'm really, people really like me. It's not enough. Um, you've got to be able to show some very tangible, similar to what Davina was just talking about when you're looking at your resume or your cover letter, um, calling out those bottom line things that you've done. Here's the value that I've brought to the organization. Here are the efficiencies that I've um, identified in our department. Here are some, here are, these are very tangible things that I've done. Um, it's, it feels a little uh, braggy, but I think in that situation, you have to be, again, it's just advocating for yourself. You've got to be prepared to have those conversations. Um, and then uh, be realistic about what sort of response you're wanting to get from that conversation. It is fairly rare, I would say, that when you first sit down to have that conversation, the person that you're talking to is going to go, okay, yep, sign me up, you're in. Um, you know, they're probably going to have to go have other conversations with other people. Um, so just be realistic with yourself about what sort of reaction you're going to get. And know that, especially right now, and maybe even in other times, it may not always happen. Um, and that's okay. And I think at that point, then you have to have a different conversation with that person. Um, either it is, uh, okay, what do I need, what are, what are the gaps that, I, that we need to identify? And what do I need to be working on in order to get there? Or do we just feel like this is not ever going to happen here? And do I need to be looking elsewhere realistically based on my career goals? I think honesty is the best thing to, honesty and transparency is the best thing you can uh, bring to the conversation. Um, and then hopefully you're getting the same back from the person that you're speaking with. Yeah. I think also too, especially going kind of to that plan B, if this is not, if, if the immediate ask for the monetary increase is not, allowable or you know something that can happen at that time thinking about some alternatives that can still add to an overall promotion so be it hey you know well if we can't do this can we possibly entertain a leadership program you know that may monetarily cost a little bit less than what the raise was for but ultimately it still gives you some advantages relative to self-development and, and it's still an investment that the organization is making in you. So just be thinking about some of those things if the initial ask cannot be fulfilled at that time. Great, thank you. Okay, um, next question, um, we'll throw that to Halima. Um, what can an employee do outside of work to help them advance in their career? A couple of things, and, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is be of service. Be, and what I mean by that is being of service to organizations where, you know, it allows you to network, um, be it with power brokers, as I call them, or movers and shakers, or ultimately decision makers that may have some influence in an area that you're interested in. Uh, a friend of mine always says, you're always interviewing. So you never know what this opportunity or service uh, experience could yield you down the line. And not that you're going into it with just this full selfish you know, perspective of, I hope there's something in it for me, but you are being of service at some point to help connect you and to expand your network. So I think that's definitely one way is being of service. And, and then you ask, well, what does that mean for me? Well, what that means for you is what are some of those superpowers that you have as a professional that may be um, of good service to a non-for-profit organization or to an agency that maybe has an open, a job opening even at that moment that maybe you're not going in for the job, but you could pro bono offer up some skill sets or experiences that they need at that particular time. Because ultimately you're trying to raise your visibility, but you are also trying to, I'll say, pay the rent for being a human on this earth by way of service. So I think those are a couple of, a couple of ways is to, number one, identify what your superpower or powers are, and then ask yourself, how can I offer this up to a person or an organization in need? And that ultimately will yield you a, a broader and bigger community uh, of connection. 
right, great, thank you. Um, last question uh, for this topic, um, and Megan, what are um, some mistakes to avoid um, so that way you can advance your career and not accidentally, you know, keep yourself from advancing in the way you'd like? Uh, I think that especially right now when so many of us are working remotely, um, you should always be looking for a way to show your value to the organization. Um, that could be that you are, you know, taking on additional projects that maybe you haven't done before. Um, that could be that you're working with people that you've never worked with. Um, it could be as simple as, hey, I'm just trying to stay connected to the people in my office. And so I'm going to make sure that, you know, once a month or once a quarter, I'm going to have a, you know, a Zoom coffee with uh, my boss's boss. Um, but always trying to find a way to show your value to, to learn more about the organization, learn more about the business. Um, and, and like I said, take on more. It's all about the learning and the getting in there and, and showing what you can do and that you're interested in doing more. I think that's the biggest thing. It's very easy right now to sit back and you know, check the boxes and say, well, I've done my work. Um, but in order to stay you know, in the forefront of people's minds, I think that's the, the, the key thing, show your value. All right, great, thank you so much. Okay, we're, um, that's kind of transitioning us into our next topic. Um, and just uh, before we do that, um, please, if anyone has any questions, please send them to Kale, because we're gonna do um, just some Q&A at the end. All right, so topic number three is navigating the new work culture in 2020. So uh, this first question is for Davina. So um, throughout COVID, working from home has become the new normal. How moving forward um, do we address working from home? And uh, kind of what are your thoughts on how do you maintain, um, you know, that career growth? Um, we'll also looking at, you know, is it okay to stay work from home? Is it okay to continue doing that moving forward? How, does, how do we start navigating that aspect of um, COVID and working? Great question. I think the biggest piece um, from a standpoint of just growth um, to Megan's point, it is constantly kind of like trying to stay relevant. I think you have to be visible and um, that can be hard because Zoom fatigue sets in. It's like, okay, if I talk to one more person <laughs> and it gets like that. But the reality is, is that um, I think from the human side, you're going to always want to connect. At the end of the day, eventually we, we want to be able to connect to our coworkers. And we want to be able to consistently communicate with other adults. So I think one is being able to have that self-care. You have to be aware of where you are and ensuring that, you know, sometimes I will get at my computer, sometimes in my pajamas, let me just tell you. I promise you I'm not the only one. But with that said, I will just go from one meeting to the next and in between and work all day before you know it, it's three o'clock. And so that is really not a healthy way to go about it. If we were in the office, normally we're taking coffee breaks or we're chatting with someone. So I think that's what you have to keep in mind is saying that self-care to say, take, learn to take your breaks, even if that means putting an uh, alarm on on your cell phone and self-care. Uh, the other is reaching out to your coworkers. Hey, you know, there's a couple of us, uh, my coworkers that will have, you know, a, a coffee Zoom or just a, hey, let's connect. And that's an hour to get it. We're not even talking about work. But it's saying that I am engaged. I care about my coworkers. I care about that your well-being, and so that keeps, the, I think, a, a balance to things. If that makes sense, and in trying to say it's not just work, 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 and it's almost like, okay, when is this cycle going to end? Because I know I'm not the only one. It feels like, okay, the weekend goes by, and the next week I'm back at this Zoom meeting. But that said, um, you have to keep in mind that there has to be some self-care reaching out to your coworkers, and then just bring a balance. Everything does not have to be about work. And if that means taking a walk around the neighborhood, sometimes I'll do that to take a break. So um, I think that's definitely important. And so as things, especially from a commercial real estate side um, company, we are helping other clients to get acclimated and getting back to work. And some people are excited about it. And then some people are saying, you know what, this is not for me right now, and that's okay. You do not have to apologize for that. And I think we have to take ownership that I don't have to apologize because 
I might have kids at home or I, I'm just not ready to go back. So keep that in mind that I think self-care is number one in checking on um, your fellow coworkers, but know your limit and, and keep a balance as much as possible. Great, thank you. Um, and one more question uh, regarding COVID. Moving forward, um, if employees feel as if they are more productive, you know, having a balance of working from home and working in the office, um, would it be appropriate to ask to work from home uh, more often than you know prior to COVID? Or is that something that um, when things return back to normal, we're all going to have to you know get back to that office every day kind of situation? Well, you know, the thing is, is that. Pre-COVID, I actually work home three days a week. Some people had that balance of working home and going back and forth. But um, I think that that's really a conversation with HR and being able to make people feel safe. People have to know that the company has their best interest uh, in, at heart to, if I'm returning to work, they have put in the proper uh, um, sanitation services, whatever you might want to call it. They've taken precautions that are needed to ensure that if I return back to work, I'm the only one using this task or whatever the, the COVID, you know, uh, CDC guidelines are. People want to know that I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So, uh, you know, I think that's a question that people have to have with HR. And, you know, I'm like, I'm okay with working from because I'm used to it, and I've done that even before CBRE. But nonetheless, when I do get a chance to see my coworkers, it's like, wow, hey, where have you guys been? And so there's a there's a reconnect. So I think there has to be a balance to that. And, and really, from an HR standpoint, they have to be prepared to make people feel comfortable, their employees feel comfortable. I also think it's important to know your organization um, and know what the organization's culture and temperature is on working from home, um, working in the office or the hybrid model or whatever, you know, and we've had this conversation at Corrigan for, you know, several months now, or a couple of months now since we've begun returning employees back to the office in phases. Um, and yes, sanitary measures and all of those things, people want to have a, a peace of mind, but I think we also have to, you know, recognize that people are at different spectrums across this entire global pandemic relative to their personal safety, if they've been, been impacted by COVID-19 directly or indirectly. There's just so many different factors that we're dealing with, along with recession, along with social injustice, along with so many things. So I think, you know, asking the question, be it it's with HR or your leadership, hey, here's what I need right now. And I think to the earlier point about self-care, being honest with yourself to say, here's, what, here's where I am right now, now manager or HR or whomever those people are, and here's what I need. And being okay and standing in the what you need right now and then working on a plan that is beneficial for both the employer and the employee. Um, but I think it starts from a place of honesty. Here's what I need right now. Great, thank you guys so much for all of um, uh, those responses about COVID. All right, so this last question's for Halima. So it is no secret that the commercial real estate industry is behind when it comes to diversity. What can women and minorities do to navigate obstacles in the workplace? And what can employees do to ensure that they are not perpetuating unconscious bias? How can we all be better advocates for a more inclusive space? Um, great question. And I think, you know, this conversation, we could have a call just on this, uh, because it is such a, a, a deep conversation um, that has so many different prongs connected to it. But I think one of the questions, and this is a lot of what I heard, especially, um, you know, as we come off the heels of so many different um, um, killings that we've seen in the in the last few months and just other you know areas of social unrest people have asked what can I do uh, people we are very action oriented and then also outcome oriented people where we want to see immediate results to our actions but I think it's a good awakening for many people to say I want to get involved I just don't know how so one of the things that I think anybody can do because we have agency for ourselves when we are in meetings or when we're in groups or at organizations is the next time that you're in a meeting or a, a, a group gathering, 
look around and ask yourself who's missing and then ask yourself why. And if you see that this is a group of all, you know, all guys and you're the only and the lonely female, ask yourself why. And then ask yourself, who can I talk to in my organization who is either a leader, a power broker, or a decision maker that I can begin to broach this conversation of the missing pieces? Because the missing pieces relative to the fabric of what diversity and inclusion bring to the table is that, you know, queer African-American female, is that straight Asian guy who's a single dad. It's all of the things. It's the vet who came back from, you know, Desert Storm twice and is looking to merge in but doesn't know how. Let's begin to ask ourselves, why does our blanket or this fabric, this thread, look the same? And I wonder what it would look like if we added different threads to this fabric. So that's the first thing that we can do is ask ourselves, Who's missing and why? The second step is then talking to, finding that ally to begin to have those conversations. And in many organizations that I've been a part of, especially uh, where it relates to representation being a challenge, uh, for instance, in architecture, African-Americans make up 2% of licensed architects in the globe, around the globe. And out of that 2%, only 0.3 are African-American women. So it goes back to why is that? And usually why that is, or one of the reasons is, it's hard to become what you never see. So if you've never heard of becoming an architect or a designer as an option, you never aspire to it. So then within the space of commercial real estate, why is it, or where do we begin when it comes to introducing students to becoming developers, GCs, all of the things and all of the opportunities that we know exist in this space, where do we begin making an impact to start providing students with the possibilities of more than just what they see or don't see? So this is where each of us individually can have an impact on having the right conversation and finding those allies, and then ultimately creating grassroots, be it organizations or what are called employee resource groups or business resource groups, ERGs or BRGs, and you begin to take action because it's a collective group of people who are recognizing that the scales are imbalanced and we need to do something. So those are just a few steps that people can take individually that begin to band up collectively and you can start making an impact in the industry. Can I just jump in also and say, I'm going to try not to get on a soapbox about this, but um, education about these topics is so important. And if you don't know how to have the conversation, it, it could backfire. Um, and so I just so encourage, and that's one of the big things that we're doing here at Granite is working on an education plan for our employees about how to have those conversations because sitting down and you know sitting in front of somebody who as Halima said has uh, the some power in the organization but not being able to explain the why behind it and the importance behind it it falls on deaf ears and so it's so important to educate yourself and to help educate others um, invest in that piece of it for yourself go out there's so many um, opportunities right now. There are so many books and so many organizations that are available that can help with that piece of it to then start those conversations. And I just think that's really important. Absolutely. Uh, at Corrigan, we're doing what's called listening sessions. Uh, we launched our diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy uh, just a couple of months ago. Um, and this has been a 15, 15 month journey uh, in, in kind of stepping forward in our more formalized initiative. And part of our just initial part of our launch was um, really having these listening sessions to understand and hear from our employees, what do they need? Um, where would they like to see this initiative go? How do we embed this into our culture? But then also helping people begin to become 
comfortable being uncomfortable and starting to normalize conversations around race and gender and inequality and sexual orientation. We all bring multiple dimensions to the workplace every single day. You can't just come to work and I'm a woman, but I'm not a mom between eight and five. You're always a mom. You're always a woman. You're always a straight male. You're always all the things you are. So to ask people or to have behaviors in organizations that be it inadvertently ask people to mute a part of them is not the environment that anybody wants to work in. You want to be in an environment and in a place where you feel like you belong and that your fullness and your wholeness is accepted, welcomed, celebrated, and we want you here. We chose you for a reason. So that is what Corgan has been focused on is really creating a sense of belonging and inclusion. And we know we have a lot of work to do. We are nowhere near perfect, trust and believe that. But luckily we have the endorsement and support of our executive leadership team. And so we are, we've launched our listening session starting back in July and we will be concluding them in September and then beginning to really put together our action plan on how to actualize what we heard. And as everybody, like I said, is oriented to outcomes, we want to put things in place that have sustainable results, not just a, a moment. We know that this is an opportunity to really create and capitalize on the movement that is people's awareness and their consciousness has been awoke, awakened. And um, as much as it is, has a tragic landscape, we are at least um, encouraged that we can now begin to have conversations and, and be more uh, mature as we journey down uh, this path to creating a, a, an environment of inclusion and belonging. I would just add, um, with CBRE, we did the Zoom through Advantage um, conversations. And I mean, to your point, uh, we have, at the end of the day, uh, diversity intersects. And we understand that I cannot change my blackness as a woman, nor can I change my womanhood as a woman, as a black woman. So it's understanding. So what we did was a partner and we have our ERGs, the thing that I love about them at CBRE is that we do a lot of things together. But I think there was a missing piece where I know our women's network could have been a little more representative of the people, women of color, but that goes back to overall commercial real estate. Um, the, the lack thereof of, of uh, people of color that have been educated or even introduced to commercial real estate. So we've had conversations through Zoom to Advantage to talk about those particular areas. I just had that conversation because sometimes I had people start reaching out to me, my colleagues, and it's not about always knowing what to say. Sometimes you don't know what to say and that's okay. And, um, but as we move forward with our overall initiative, um, not just from the diverse recruiting standpoint, but also DNI, um, we just added our first uh, chief diversity officer uh, who actually has a background, Tim Desmond, um, about 20 plus years in commercial real estate. And oh, wow. the major piece uh, that he is directly a part of the C-suite. And, and, and I think when companies take that stand and that you are actually rolling up to achieve uh, for the CEO rather, it, it, it speaks volumes to the commitment that you choose to make. And I think that as we're finding the, 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 the social unrest and all the other things that are going on, things that we did not pay attention to, we're starting to, and it's okay if I don't always have know what to say, but we, did, we have set up things where people can speak to unconscious bias. What does that look like? Um, even, you know, um, some of our Zoom to event with just the women's network has, has really changed the way that um, that they actually, you know, look for members and how they, how they approach things, you know, because sometimes when you're on a call and just being, uh, super transparent, you know, as a black female, I don't go get promoted like the next, uh, next white female. And sometimes the calls that they were having was just so focused on that. And it's, you're living in a different space. I'm living in a different space than you are. And so, Taking the time to say I hear you and taking the time to understand that that, that journey is different for me, it, it, it has really changed our culture and really, I think, made people really stop and think and be more engaged. Yep. 
You know, I think another piece of this too is we have companies that are actually pursuing diversity candidates and it goes back to this thing that we keep talking about, which is if you want someone who's been 10 years in the industry, say for instance, in an acquisitions role, it's hard to find at that point someone who is a diverse candidate at, at that phase. Um, so I think there's a lot of it of either pulling people in, like from a career change standpoint, that have more of a diversity standpoint. But even when you go to colleges, which this is always surprising, we'll go speak at universities and it is still so white male. Um, in the real estate, when we get honed in on real estate. Now, I would, I would argue that it's probably more female, but interracial diversity is still lacking drastically. So there's got to be some way to start recruiting really on a, um, not only just a collegiate level of getting people familiar with, right, like the architecture piece or whatever the case may be, drawing people into the real estate sector, um, but also taking people that have experienced in their career and drawing them into the real estate sector. So yeah. uh, that, that's a whole nother, I, I, that would be a great topic or to get a panel of people to discuss that on how to make that happen because I think that's where people are missing. Because we're trying, even for companies that are trying to get the diversity, they're like, we're struggling. Um, they, Stacy, I mean, to your point, they do have a few organizations. Um, one is called REIT. Real estate, uh, real estate associates program. There's actually four minority professionals that actually already degreed, and some of them might work in finance, different areas that decided I want to take a ten week course in commercial real estate. Um, the good thing about this is that uh, as a partner or a sponsor of REIT, um, as the students go through, most of them you will find you can find a place how you can you know fit them. We have people that have gone through from uh, MIT and, and one person wind up getting a job at Tiffany's or Walmart or JP Morgan Chase. So um, that is an opportunity um, called we and, and there's a few others, but we all, to your point, it's saying that sometimes like valuation, sometimes there's just, there's just not people of color. There's no minor, ethnic minorities in that area. And if you do, you find yourself going from one box to the other box to the other box and you're pulling from the same pool and they're just making their rounds so how do you organically grow that and so they um a cbre started to do is basically say okay we will train them recent grads and then give them so forth but sometimes you have to find those opportunities or programs we're getting ready to roll out an hbcu program um pathways hbcu pathways to commercial real estate specifically for HBCUs and mm -hmm. how they, they don't have any commercial real estate. I think maybe one or two that might have a program, but even if they don't, our focus is not saying that they have to have a commercial real estate. Our focus is saying whatever your degree program might be, let's say for instance, Prairie View, um, uh, A&M, they have a huge construction uh, program there, very successful. How can we utilize their program to help build a talent pool for project management for us. And yep. so project managers are geared around construction. And so um, usually their background is in construction. So what we've done is say, okay, if I start them off as a sophomore, year over year, they begin to grow within another area. And so by the time they graduate, we want to, we're ready to offer. Because yep. they've gone through year after year. And so we're getting ready to roll that out. Um, for 2021, but actually have uh, uh, start having our series and a speaking series uh, starting actually about another week. The 15th is the first one. But there, there's opportunities, and sometimes it's it you, it's, it takes a little digging. But even if you have to grow it organically, that that might be the opportunity to do that. And I think too, you know, people have to, and people, when I say people, meaning organizations, hiring managers, HR, everybody has to understand, we didn't just get here overnight to where, why don't we have diverse candidates? There was a reason, there were barriers that were put in place, be it intentionally or not, systemically or not, consciously or unconsciously, that have caused the talent pipeline to practically in some industries be dry as all you get out. So as it, hopefully it doesn't take us as long as I've told people on these listening sessions that we've had, we have COVID-19 and then we have racism 401. 
401 years of inequalities and imbalances that we are now addressing at a more collective and global effort and energy. But it's, I pray it doesn't take 401 years to get on the other side of right. But we also have to recognize that it's going to take us to be thoughtful, intentional, deliberate, and patient to get to the side where, okay, we, we have started building up the pipeline. We are encouraged by what we're seeing. And I think to Ashley's point, or I'm sorry, Davina's point in regards to um, creating that pathways program, having the fortitude to see it from womb to tomb, from birth to completion is essential because many HBCUs, and I've, I, I am a byproduct of an HBCU, I am a star supporter of HBCUs, um, many HBCUs also experience big organizations coming in, swooping in to get a couple of students, aha, we've done it. There's not an investment in a, the relationship and the partnership to help bring these students along. So I think that there has to be patience in alignment with anybody's strategy relative to pursuing and building talent pipelines that you really want to see yield fruit down the line. It's going to take time. Thank you guys so much for speaking um, on those topics. It's really important, and I'm so glad we can have um, those conversations um, in these uh you know, virtually, and hopefully we can continue those in person once we're allowed to. Okay, so now we're moving on to the questions from the audience. Um, so first, I'll throw this one to Ashley. Um, in the job market, um, in what positions are they hiring, and what positions are they not hiring? Such a good question. So I think the perception is there are no jobs, which is far from the truth. So there's a little bit of some similarities. Of course, we're in a pandemic in 2008 and 2009, but from the downturn standpoint, the best way to describe this is sort of a brief cycle of how things typically flow and where we're at in that cycle. The, the, the difference for this is the hospitality industry is devastated. All right. So that's, I mean, it, and Megan, you could probably speak to this even still, but um, at least temporarily, it's a little bit de devastated. The retail industry, if it's not necessity, is super struggling. Um, the most stable asset classes right now are industrial multifamily, which is where we're seeing the majority of jobs pop up. There is still a ton of capital on the sidelines, so the money didn't go away. What happens is, as we go through this pause on the valuation side of saying, okay, now what is an asset worth? Um, and everybody sort of sits on the sidelines at this stage and starts to wait and see where the value starts to lie for some of these assets. And so we're a bit of a, a pause um, with execution of capital. That being said, we've had a request last week for a, a VP of multifamily for acquisitions, um, acquisitions director for uh, industrial, the industrial space. Um, analysts have been in high demand, um, controllers. There's a, there's a safety, I think, when you go into this analyst side, valuation, um, even controllers and accountants, those are just always necessary. So there's job opportunity there. The other piece of this is with all the PPP and the ideal money that's hit the market, it has propped people up temporarily. So if you're in a distressed asset world, um, what typically happens is if you lose those assets, so let's say you have a mezzanine loan, it's tied up with 43 hotels. Um, we can, you can only prop that up for a period of time unless you get funding. So it will inevitably go back to the bank. Those jobs will be, the banks will be overrun with job opportunities, but they'll, it'll take some time to get there. So what happens is they'll go to servicing, They'll go through workout plans and all the banking institutions, there's 52 servicers, um, will be overrun. And we've spent the last probably six weeks talking to a majority of the leadership within those servicing institutions. Um, the comment was, our biggest concern is we're, we're all gonna need those people at one time. 
So you'll see a flood of people from, but they're still in this cycle where things have not quite defaulted yet. So there'll be opportunity on the banking side from the servicing side. There'll be opportunity on the receivership side, which are all those people that step in to manage those assets while they're sitting at the bank. Um, could be retail, it could be, uh, and that's where the operational pieces will go, um, is, are the receivers. And then, and then there's tons of real estate companies that really are flourishing with capital that are really just waiting to be on the acquisitions piece of this and take advantage of the market. Um, so there will be a ton of opportunity on the acquisitions piece. And I think asset management generally is always stable, maybe not necessarily right now on the hospitality side, but somewhat there's always got to be someone to manage these assets. And so from that standpoint, asset management, property management is typically a very safe space to be in. And I'm sure everybody probably on this panel could probably add in on that as far as where they're seeing and what, where the job creation is for them right now. I'd be curious how, how much hiring is happening too from the other panelists. We've been on a freeze since March, uh, middle of March, and we have a few opportunities here and there. And, and some of our work is actually picking up even in the aviation space, which is, you know, uh, that has been one of the hardest hit uh, industries along with hospitality as well. So we are seeing a little bit of, of new business or continued business. So that part has been exciting. Um, and so, you know, architectural staff and, and different, um, different roles of that sort, but maybe even some that have a little bit more of a specialty um, or experience with them is what we're seeing. Um, so, you know, it, it's slow for us. And like I said, we're on a hiring freeze, but we do have a few exceptions here and there. I would say for CBRE, um, any, any given day, usually it's about 2,500 positions. We do have hiring freeze or slow down in some areas like research and, and others, but I think the biggest piece to your point, Ashley, is definitely property management and financial analysts. Um, and also from our, our global workplace uh, solution side, UWS, is a lot of the building maintenance, uh, facilities management, that is really, really picking up. So um, we definitely have a lot of positions in that area right now. Um, I would say, I'm oh, sorry, Megan. No, I was just gonna agree with everything you guys have all said. <laughs> um, one, of, one of the initiatives that we've done during this period of time is we started a, a job board called jobcre.com. And basically what we're doing, and we're in the middle of this, is we're scraping jobs from all real estate companies across the nation. It, as it stands right now, we're doing it for free as a sort of give back scenario. Now, if you go on there, it gives you the option to purchase jobs, but the jobs that you're seeing on there are being scraped organically daily um, so that there's kind of a one-stop shop for people looking for employment. Um, I would not say that this is not a not-for-profit, but it is right now. So, and the goal is everybody's saying, hey, where do we find jobs um, that are specific to real estate? So we're trying to be as helpful as we can on that regard. We're up to 10,000. The goal is to be up to 100,000 in the next three months, um, but they will be scraped from every job board, every career center across the nation. I'm sorry, what was the name of the job board again, Ashley? Jobcre.com. Okay. And we have pulled CBRE's jobs on there too, so just so you know. Oh, great, thank you. You're welcome. I think Granite too, Megan. I'll go double check that. All right, great. Thank you so much um, to all of our panelists for answering everything. I think today was a really great conversation. Um, so hopefully that was helpful to all of the viewers. And um, for everyone that uh, plugged in and watched and listened, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, and I hope you have a great rest of the week. Um, and unless anyone has anything else to add, then uh, that pretty much wraps it up. So again, thank you so much for joining and taking the time um, out of your day. And hopefully we'll uh, see you guys soon. <laughs>
That's it for today. I'd like to again recognize and thank our Young Guns members for organizing The Secret to Success. Thank you also to our panelists for their time. Megan Joseph, Director of Human Resources at Granite Properties. Davina Linguist, Diversity Recruiting Program Manager at CBRE. Halima McWilliams, Director of Human Resources Operations and Culture at Corgan. And Ashley Watt, President of The Pillar Group. Please subscribe to the show if you like what you heard today. We put out all new episodes every two weeks. And follow Trek on social media. We've put our handles in the show notes. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening. <clears throat>